Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Pollitz, and welcome back to the Baptism of Our Lord, the first Sunday after Epiphany for the week of January 9th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because there's a lot of things that are kind of coming full circle for me this week. We'll kind of touch on a lot of these here, but there's a one thing I have to apologize for for last week. I was so excited with dif- different announcements and stuff that I was coming out with that I completely forgot to touch on the Twitter question from last week. And so we'll touch on the one from this last week and we'll have to just let that one lie. And But it's an exciting time of the year. We're in this transition. We have exited the Christmas season. We had January 6th, the epiphany of our Lord. And that is a whole celebration about how the wise men come and meet Jesus bearing their gifts. That's that whole celebration. And now we're in the seasons following it. We're following the light. We're following the star of Christ, if you want to put it in that way. And we're not going to dig really into the epiphany of our Lord in that way this much this year. But we'll continue kind of going. But this week is the baptism of our Lord. And so that's kind of a fun topic in and of itself. I'm going to bring back an old topic that I haven't talked about in a long time with some additional information. And I think there's some really good depth, especially kind of updating something I talked about long, long time ago. But before we jump into that, we have to do our Twitter question from last week, which is where are you going to look for some wisdom this week? And I think it's an interesting question. It's a question for us that inspires the question of, are you asking questions? Are you continuing to grow in some form or some fashion? And the different ways that we're able to do that, we're able to connect with people of different age groups to be able to help us better understand things, be it the younger generation to help with probably new technology and different things that they're using and becoming accustomed to day to day. Whereas there's older technology that sometimes it's great to be able to ask an old timer who's gone through it, who's been through it, and the wisdom that comes from life and being able to balance that with the exuberance of young life and different perspectives where sometimes ignorance is bliss type of idea. And it's the balance of having the wisdom from both. And that's one of the things that I think is where our society and where our world and where our church is really at. It's at this cornerstone of being able to balance all of those together. And how do we make sure that we're getting poor from both sides in equal amounts and not more of one than the other? And I think that's something that we're going to be continuing to work on. And it's something the church continues to work on all the time. So let's just jump into it this week. The Old Testament reading or the first lesson is out of Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 to 7. This text is beautiful in some ways and there are different parts of this text that I will briefly touch on that just causes us to really wonder a lot. And I think it's one of these things that's really interesting. There's a lot of this text here where God is pouring out his heart for the chosen people and how, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And then continuing in verse 4, 
because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you, which is an important part because that's the one time in scripture where we are hearing that God is saying to us that he loves us. Do not fear, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west and gather you up. So this whole idea of how God is bringing together. But then there's the hard part of this, which is in verse 3. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Serbia in exchange for you, which especially we always put ourselves in the place of the chosen people. But if you aren't that that text can be very difficult. So there's a lot formed up into that. But I think, and especially as the people of God, as we're reading it that way, I think there is this kind of love letter-esque quality of this that is really beautiful for us to be reassured within that, but also keeps us wondering about the character of God. The psalm this week is Psalm 29. And This is going through different attributes of God. So ascribe to the Lord, heavenly beings, glory of strength and holy splendor and how the voice of the Lord thunders over the mighty waters and it's powerful and it's able to break the cedars of Lebanon, make Lebanon skip like a calf and Cyrene like a young wild ox, which I'll attach videos of that. If you haven't seen that before, that is worth checking out when you're reintroducing cattle to a field, how they will get up and jump and it looks like skipping. It's really, really cool. The voice of the Lord causes oaks to whirl, which to me is just mind-boggling with especially being from where I am. Oaks are this big, hardwood, strong, sturdy tree and are really good for burning because of how energy dense they are and to be able to whirl it and essentially pack more energy into it and be able to twist that wood, that would take a lot of strength, a lot of power. And so it's this reminder throughout this psalm of how powerful God is and how God has things in control and how that's worthy to be noted. But it's also going into the voice of the Lord and what the voice of the Lord can do can cause the oaks to whirl, to shake the wilderness, to cause it to flood. This type of thing is understanding the pure power of God. The New Testament text or the second reading is from Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. This is an interesting little text here because you have Peter and John who are being sent with some apostles who have been baptized, what we can maybe assume under John, but they have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, but yet had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And that then Peter and John lay hands on them, the apostles, and that's when they receive the Holy Spirit. And how there is, in this text, showing that there is a transformation. There is something different about the Holy Spirit coming into the person. And that that's part of the change of who we are. The Gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 17 and 21 and 22. The verses that are omitted, I think, are important, and that is the arrest of John the Baptizer in this text, which is interesting because this text starts with 
okay, the people are wondering if John is, might be the Messiah. John states, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He then continues with his whittling fork in his hand his to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then we get the arrest of John, and then we get this baptism of Jesus. And he is praying. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the bodily form of a dove. The voice from heaven says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And that's the end of that section. So this whole section is just a kind of an interesting part, but Jesus never says anything. We hear God making a voice, making a claim, which ties in well with the psalm. But Jesus is praying. Jesus doesn't say anything. And I think that's something of note, something to be aware of. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs Folks. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to help bring you this podcast and make sure that my head is in the right direction, along with having four biblical scholars in the Working Preacher podcast, three to four, or having additional commentaries there from other biblical scholars. It's a great resource, and it really is a helpful resource for me. So if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at vanderbilt.edu. One of the things that I really enjoy about this is how they lay out the scriptures each week, and especially like last week, being able to have some of the alternative scriptures in there also. But I really like it because it has the art. Why is that important? I like being able to see how other people in interpret this artistically throughout the world throughout time. And that's really powerful and really fun to be able to use in such a unique resource right there for you. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at vanderbilt.edu, I'd highly recommend that. My final recommendation this week is again, if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I'd highly recommend it. It's really cool to be able to see a project like this that is being funded to be able to try to, in the best way possible, go through what possibly Jesus's ministry looked like and going through kind of the whole story, not just the crucifixion or trying to fit it into one movie, but let's have it as a series of shows. So if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I'd highly recommend that also. One of the things that I have been doing a little bit is I've been kind of reminiscing a little bit lately and going through some of my old podcasts. And The first podcast that I ever did, one of the things that I talked about, because it was the baptism of our Lord, was water. And when I was thinking about that and looking at this and then digging into some additional resources here, I think there's a little bit more that I need to be able to provide and to give a little bit more depth on some things we can think about and consider. Because I think there are some issues and things that we could possibly bring out that could really help in someone preaching this. So first and foremost, it does not say it in this gospel, but is well understood that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And the thing that's interesting with the Jordan River at this point is it's disappearing. 
due to dams or power and irrigation, there is a significant reduction of water going from the Jordan into the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River is one of these areas that then helps provide water for the Dead Sea. And this is in an arid climate. This is one of the areas then that has moisture to be able to grow crops. And a story here that I found, and I'll again, I'll attach the links in the show notes like always. The Jordan River is right now having about 100 million cubics of water reach the Dead Sea compared to its historic flows that were between 12 to 1300 million cubics. So we're at 1 12th to 1 13th of the amount of water running from arguably the Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. And that because of irrigation coming out of like the Sea of Galilee and the different dams and things, it is making it so that there is more evaporation, making it so it is a more contested property, more contested resource. And as we've heard probably multiple times over, water is becoming an issue. It's disappearing from areas. And what's concerning about that is up to this point, at this moment, there is nothing that we know of, no type of life that doesn't at least interact or use water. No life forms that we know of do not use water in some way. Now, I will attach some stuff again down in the show notes. There is some questions around Titan, the moon that's around Jupiter. And instead of using water, it'd be using liquid methane, which is that because it's so cold that it's at a liquid level. And there's some early things that are being experimented with that the life that would be there would be very vastly different from what we have here. But as we know of right now, there is no life forms without water. And there's a lot of reasons for this. So first and foremost, we have to understand what water is. It's two hydrogen atoms attached by a covalent bond to an oxygen atom. And with that, because of how that's arranged, this makes a polar molecule and with the hydrogen bonds that it has. With sharing the electron, it's a covalent bond, but they have hydrogen bonds. And what that does is it makes for a positive and a negative side to this molecule, thus making it polar, thus making it have high cohesion, thus making it sticky to itself. So water wants to stick to itself. Hence why we can get drops of water that kind of roll off a leaf because of how sticky it is to itself. It wants to stay. And thus, this is where we get surface tension. So if you've ever done like the experiments of like dropping a straw into a glass of water, you would see how within the straw that it will push up partially due to surface tension as part of that, the cohesion that it has. It has the highest cohesion level of a non-metallic liquid that we have discovered. So with this, which also makes water so amazing, it is the best solvent we've ever found. It dissolves a lot of things. It 
just breaks down things so well and being able to get them to absorb into a liquid. Think of like making Kool-Aid and you're adding sugar and powder into that or mixing salt in with water that it dissolves into the liquid. This is what is amazing about it. And these are all hydrophilic substances because they then because it's a polar molecule it's attaching and is attracted to the one end thus helping to break the things down now it doesn't break down everything like oil is a perfect example it's a hydrophobic liquid and thus it's trying to push it up push it away from it thus that's how we are able to get more of the cohesion properties that are happening there one of the other things that is absolutely amazing about water is that in its solid form, it's less dense than in its liquid form. Thus, having ice float instead of ice sink. And this is very unique compared to any other substance that we found. Typically, when it's a solid, it's more dense, thus making it sink compared to when it's a liquid. And because when it's a solid, it floats, it allows for life in water to happen. If that didn't happen, ice would sink and life within water would die. And thus, if you want to even go further, the ice in the Arctic and Antarctic sinks, causing consistent for the water to keep being raised up and the amount of land would disappear. It would probably just be a solid thing of ice. And part of that, how that happens is because the polar molecules as they cool make ice crystal structures and spread out evenly, thus making it less dense and more buoyant to be able to float. It's also super unique here on Earth that because of our temperature ranges, we get this substance naturally in all three forms, as a gas, as a liquid, and as a solid, which is not something we can say for any other substance that we have, that we're able to naturally see these three. And speaking of the gas version of the liquid, what's super unique about it then is it vaporizes up and then is able to attach itself or cluster itself, the cohesion again, around dust particles and hitch rides to thus be able to be transferred to a new area of the globe. And thus you have the natural water cycle like we've talked about. And again, one of the things that we overlook with water based on that we have the liquid source that this then is an amazing thing because of such a wide temperature range that it's able to work at at being able to carry nutrients for life into us. And in that same form, being able to bring nutrients in, but also to wash waste away if you catch my drift. That this is such a powerful tool to be able to provide life and also wash away the waste that we're needing to get rid of. And the final amazing property in which we have with this is that it has a super high specific heat or high heat capacity that it's able to take a lot of heat in before it really rises up in temperature. Thus, why it takes so long to boil a pot of water because it's just absorbing that heat in and it takes a long time for it to go up. And one of the things that I even learned in this is that we perceive water as clear or slightly blue and the blue hue 
is really effective at them being able to block out high radiation because blue waves are really a high frequency, high energy wave. And that's through the panspermia theory. It's possibly how life coming from more of a science perspective, how life potentially was able to get here is that you had things of DNA that didn't get destroyed because you had ice around it, that that would be blocking out those potential rays of light that would destroy different energy in the waveforms that would destroy these genetic DNA strands because of it reflecting and refracting blue light back out instead of absorbing it in. But for me, I also really love the picture of water, especially with baptism, for helping us because it's in a form that we can easily understand of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we can understand the three forms of water and thus the three phases or parts of God. But I think it's also important for us to be thinking about, especially when we utilize water as a baptismal resource and something that we see as baptism, that this is something that brings life. And now as we're looking at things that we're having issues in different areas, but specifically even to this text, the River Jordan where Jesus is fairly assumed, it's talked about, is baptized, that it's running into issues, that the Jordan is having less water flow, that it's having pollutants in the water, it's being irrigated away, it's evaporating away with additional higher temperatures. And that here's this thing that we have been given, that's been gifted to us, that provides life, that is able to help bring life. And here we have this symbol within the Christian faith of water bringing new life into us. And yet, we're having places where that's disappearing. Are we not treasuring and valuing that resource enough? I know for me, one of the things that I have had discussions with my wife over this last year, we purchased a home. And for her growing up in the Southwest, she was used to water bills. And with me never growing up in a city, I didn't have water bills. We had a well. You just pump the water. You don't think about it. It's just water. It's just there. And so when we moved to a place that had its own well, when I was telling her that we wouldn't have a water bill, this is something that was new to her. But I think it's also something that if you grew up in a context where you grew up in not having a water bill, it's not something that we necessarily treasure. But when we look at what's going on in the world, when we look at Lake Mead and how that is causing issues for the Southwest, I'll attach links down below, And how water has been declared as something that they think the next big world wars will be about is the lack of water. Is this partially due to the lack of us recognizing how much life it actually brings and the value that has? A significant portion, and I'll find the exact percentage and attach it down below, but a significant portion of our body is water. It's needed for us for life. We know that for plants. We know that for animals. We know that for life in general, that everyone needs water. And here we have water coming and being this source of eternal life to us. We've seen the power of water in floods and in ice ages. We've seen the lack of water destroy communities. 
It's the question of at what point do we recognize and understand that we need water and you need to value water and make sure that we're all getting an opportunity to water in ways that make sense. Does that mean that we need to revise habits to potentially make it so that other places around the world, it's easier for them to get water? It's something that lots of organizations that are working with developing countries will talk about is can you secure water? Because once that happens, that helps be able to make the society be able to start focusing on other things. I find it interesting when we are talking about water and you look at all these texts outside of the Acts reading, talk about water, and it's immediately looked at as something of God's or something that God is helping us through or the power that God can show in water. And yet we look at the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove after what we assume in this text is water being poured over. How much do we take water for granted? How many times do we turn on the tap and not really think about it that much? Because we're in a developed nation. Because that's something that's a custom for us. The inconvenience of having the power go out or something happen where you have a lack of water for a period of time is inconvenient. But for many of us, it's something that we don't really concern ourselves with. It's not everyone. Flint, Michigan is another example where we learn the value of water. And I think, especially when we're talking about the baptism of our Lord, I think this is also an amazing opportunity to start talking about how the world needs to treasure water and we need to maybe not take it for granted as much as we have. That we need to be able to recognize the value of water. That we need to be able to recognize how do we work together to potentially reduce our amount of water so that not only other people in whatever country we're in have access to it, but maybe that helps reduce the amount of energy that we're using to be able to allow for more water to be in other areas based on the climate not warming as much. The scary thing, like we've talked about, with water disappearing is if the specific heat then, with how great of a resource it is at absorbing heat, that it allows it easier to have more consistent temperatures here on Earth. As water disappears, do we get more temperature swings? If anybody's been to a desert where it's arid, you notice the moment the sun goes down how the temperature drops. Whereas if you have a place where there is more humidity, it takes longer for that temperature to drop. How water changes the environment. It brings forth more life. And in areas where the desert, it figures out ways to store the water, to treasure that, to hold on to that, to be efficient with that. The gift of life is something that we take for granted. And I think that leads us really well into our Twitter question this week is, where do we take water for granted? Where do we take water for granted? Because I think most of the people who are listening to this are coming from a developed country. And that's probably something that we take full advantage of and fully forget. It's hard for us to fathom spending eight hours a day to get water, but yet that's a reality for parts of the world. And yet, when we look at the marvels and the miraculous things that God has done with water and how it's needed for life, and yet then it's also used as this reminder, this symbol, this 
thing that we see Jesus doing to recognize the Spirit coming and the new life that comes with it. Maybe it's something that we then need to treasure and not take for granted. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.